Salutations, good people. Welcome to the Human Magic Podcast. It's Jack here. I'm reporting from my bedroom in London town. Somewhere where I've been spending a lot of time recently. So we're almost at the end of the year. This is the 11th episode of the Human Magic Podcast. Um, I'm planning to do one more before the year is over. On my website, I've set up a donation PayPal thing, okay, where you can donate a little bit of money towards this podcast and the work I do for it. I don't get paid to do it, you know, I, I just do this for fun and to learn, to learn about what's going on out there. Um, but and I also believe that the conversations should always be free and always accessible to everybody online, so I'm going to keep them free. Um, but if you have enjoyed one or two of the episodes throughout the year, um, if I've made, if, you know, if you've learned something, or maybe if you've had a laugh listening to it, then if you would like to buy me a coffee or or buy me a beer or send the equivalent over in quids, then uh, you can do that, and that would be greatly appreciated. So, if you go to jackhutchcraft.com, there's a donation button on there. You can click it and do a one-off payment, and you know I would be forever grateful. This week, I have a conversation with Neve Convery. Um, she's the founder of The Shared Plate, which is a community interest company with people and food at its heart. Okay, so they have a zero, a zero waste food shop and cafe in Swansea. And they also work with like food group, uh, youth groups and, and community groups, helping to share their ethos and share food with them. I really love this organization and basically in their bio on the website it kind of explains their ethos which is good food should be shared by all and shouldn't come at the cost of our planet or the lives of those working to produce it. So they're a real ethical organization. In our chat uh, in the chat that I had with Neve, we talk about food, we talk about seasonal diets, the impact that our diets have on our bodies and on the natural world. We talk about culture, the future of food and, uh, and all the cool stuff that they do at the Shared Plate. Uh, that's her company. Neve is a great, great woman. I think she's a visionary and I'm lucky to call her my friend. Um, yeah, we're going and I'll let her take over from here. Hello, Neve. So good to speak to you again. It's been a little while, and uh, how's your year been so far? Wow. Um, hello, Jack. Nice to see you. Um, it's been obviously, as I think for absolutely everyone, completely mental. Um, but with the added addition of trying to open a kind of cafe, bistro, community cafe in. A pandemic, which is uh, always a challenge, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, Maybe not one that I'd necessarily advise. <laughs> <laughs> so we met. Um, we met working on a a program for young people, and um, it was a few years ago now. And when I when we met, we were at a like a self like a, a self sustainable kind of commune called Embercoon. Oh God, you're not allowed to use that word. <laughs> really? How would you describe it? What Embercoon? Um, I think the official line is a land-based learning centre for change makers, something like that. Okay, cool. And then um, <laughs> that sounds a bit more. That sounds a bit less uh, 
repellent for people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we worked together and I thought it was an amazing experience. And then since then, you've gone on to start your own uh, your own catering business and, and open a cafe. But to go back to when we first met, you were working with refugees, right? That's your that's your um, that's your background, right? Um. So I mean, my background is more kind of around uh, like food education and food facilitation. Um. But when I moved to Embercombe, which is the land based learning centre, um. We just had this real feeling of like isolation there and that you had this really privileged, amazing experience. You know, the place, as you know, you've been there is absolutely beautiful. It's breathtaking. And there's like a real, with, without sounding like a massive hippie, um, you know, there's like a vibe there. And But the thing for me and, and Mariana, who I started the project with, um, we just felt like, how can you have this if everyone else doesn't? And at the time, it was at the height of the uh, refugee crisis, which, you know, is still going on at the moment. Um, and we just wanted to bring people there to share it um, and to share some of the benefits of, like, land-based work. Um, so that's how that project started. Um, yeah, just a desire to kind of share what we had and that beautiful environment with other people, basically. Because I, I remember there was an amazing, um, a, an amazing moment where... Because, because, although it's everything's, um, everything's that's grown there is eaten there, and 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 vice versa. We didn't bring much into Embercombe. There was a, there was a moment where uh, there was a deer killed, right? Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> the young people were invited to interact with the with the dead deer. And it's a strange strange concept, but it was kind of like breaking down barriers as to just people's perception of food where it comes from uh, the meat that they eat where it comes from and i think the um the deers were kept were kind of cooled in a way that it was better for the environment because they weren't natural to that area as far as i remember um and then the young people went up and they stroked it and they kind of um familiarize themselves with it if they wanted to and i thought that was quite a powerful thing um is that well, yeah. Can you remember that? It was pretty strange, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, it's something that we do with lots of different groups or we used to do. And I think it is just, like, as you touched on, it's a really important thing. We're so disconnected from eating meat. I find that um, for a lot of the young people that uh, come on live, they're, uh, they're, they're from the city and... Um, they haven't had the opportunity. I mean, often we do a similar workshop on our programs with chicken, and it's amazing how many people don't associate like that whole bird with uh, the fillets that you buy vac-packed in the supermarket. So the the point of that deer, um, deer ceremony, we kind of call it, is to um, connect us to the, to the fact that the meat we're eating is a living being um, and also to kind of honour the fact that something has given its life to provide us with the food that we eat, basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I think, I think, I mean, I've witnessed that, um, that ceremony probably 10 times now. Um, and the follow on from that is to then prepare the meat. And usually we do that with the, um, with whoever the participants are as well. So you've got that kind of full circle experience. Uh, but I always find it really powerful. And I think that is partly about, um, 
you know the fact that it is a life and we see it, uh, it when it comes to the to the land it is being killed that morning uh it's still warm often and i think that's a very like visceral experience for people mm. um and it it really does it sparks a conversation it sparks a dialogue um and it, it, it's not always a pleasant one you know there's a very kind of strong reaction and often that reaction you know, you might assume that that would come from a vegetarian or a vegan, but actually those very visceral reactions are happening from meat eaters who are suddenly being connected to what they're eating in a way that they never have been before. And I've seen uh, vegetarians come out of that experience, people who were meat eaters becoming vegetarians from that experience. And I've also seen vegetarians really connect to that possibility to eat something that kind of, on that level of sustainability, on that level of contact with the food that we're eating and and actually go and try the meat because they feel that that's a accessible way to eat it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it, it does sound like, like there's no, it, it's open to interpretation, um, that kind, that, that exercise. So I remember it wasn't like everyone was disgusted. You know, some, some of the young people we were working with at the time were refugees and they... Uh, I remember a couple from Afghanistan and they didn't see it as weird or anything at all. They walked straight up to the deer and started stroking it and were like, you know, uh, perhaps if they're from agricultural families or areas, then they would have a very close connection with the meat that they're killing and eating in, in, in different cultures. Um, I remember it reminds me of, I was doing a bit of work at a, um, there's, a there's like agricultural and animal care colleges in London. I don't know if you've heard of it, about these. They're called Capel Manor. And they're so yeah. cool. And, and they're like, and they're basically like, um, for, for a lot of young people who are not perhaps not academic or really interested in um, just working with animals or working on farms, that kind of thing. And they have llamas there, they have chickens there and they look after them and they also learn about everything to do with the outdoors is also f- like flor- uh, flower arranging and all sorts. And I remember there was these chickens running around when, when I was there and there was these two girls that I was, I was eating lunch with and they were about 15, 16. And they went, oh, we call that one Nugget. I said, all right, why? No, no, she said, we call that one Chip and we call that one Nugget. I said, oh, why do you, you call them that? And she goes, oh, well, that that one dropped. We dropped a chip, a chip, and that one ate a chip off the floor. We dropped a chicken nugget, and that one ate a chicken nugget off the floor. And I remember thinking, like, oh my god! I was like, it's eating. It's 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 a cannibal. And I looked in their faces, and I thought, I didn't quite know if they understood what how why that was funny and why that was bizarre that a chicken had eaten a chicken nugget. And I think, I think that yeah, it, it's it's a very important thing, I guess, to. It's not to turn everyone into vegetarians because I don't eat meat. So I'm a little bit like I have to hold myself back sometimes in some situations as to not come across as sanctimonious because I, I haven't always been vegetarian, only about like five years or so. So it's um, it's 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 a conversation that, yeah, I'm very cautious with because I don't like being preached to and I understand <laughs> so um so you made the uh the the what made you want to take the step to start your own thing the shared plate is what you do like what was the uh, ethos behind that well just i just wanted to touch on, on. Um, first of all the the kind of comment about um you know you don't eat eat meat i i do and i quite often come up against um 
well, just to kind of rewind, actually, just I think this story about the girls and the chicken nugget is really interesting because uh, over the years, I think I've gone from a place that, you know, might be constituted as a little bit um, preachy because I, I felt very, right, you know, righteous about it, especially when I moved out of London and I suddenly had access to, like, you know, eating wild deer, which, come on, like, that's a massive privilege in itself yeah. to be able to have access to meat in that sustainable way. Yeah. Um, but kind of we've uh, and as the shared plate which I guess we're getting into but we've really changed our attitude and I, my personal opinion about it um, and I really believe that there is a space for me in our food system and I know that lots of people probably listening will find that controversial but I do think it is and I think that when you're working with people and groups you have to go way 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 back outside of your own opinions and your own beliefs and kind of neutralize the situation and I certainly think that when you're talking about uh, relationships to meet like you know you touched on the idea that 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 those girls maybe didn't make the full connection between the absurdity of this chicken eating chicken um, and I think when you're starting from that point it's like it, it's really important that you acknowledge where everyone is at with that conversation yeah. and that it isn't a form of judgment um, and that it's all about learning together, I think. And, and yeah, I think just, yeah, I just find that really interesting that it's like it's not necessarily that your way is better or then like their knowledge is better. It's just that we've all had different experiences of it. Yeah. yeah yeah and it's quite privileged it's quite a position of privilege to be even having these conversations with yourself to be like hey you know maybe i can spend a little bit more and go vegan and get some avocados or whatever um that's uh that's that comes when you're in a, a fairly comfortable position to be able to you know uh examine yourself in that way and and think about exactly what you're putting into your body i remember somewhat my friend lawrence was telling me that Talking about the nuances of of, of, of this kind of uh, morality, eating meat, because he's really anti-fur, he doesn't eat meat. And he was doing a, a, a photojournalism project in America, and he he was in a part of America, I can't remember where it was, maybe it was, uh, it was somewhere where it was very cold. And they, uh, <laughs> so maybe the north, one of the northern states, and they, um, and they, he was really anti-fur and he got there and they said that, you know, it's not, fur had been outlawed there. Fur was illegal to, 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 to sell fur. And the people, the locals that he was staying with, who were very open-hearted, let him stay at their house and all this, they said it's, it's really fucked them over because coyotes, where they were making fur from, are actually pests. They're not, they're not from that area. And they, uh, they were... And they're ruining a lot of people's livelihoods and ruining the natural habitat of a lot of other animals that are from that part of America. And they were killing them just to keep the numbers down and using the fur as a way of actually doing something with the body instead of just, you know, chucking it on, chucking it in the bin. So they, uh, so they were doing it and it was quite a conscientious thing to do. Like, you know, instead of just killing it for no reason, why don't we use the fur and make a little money for the, for the local economy and all this? And uh, they they likened it to, we don't go to New York City and tell people they can't kill rats, for example. You know that would seem strange. You know, oh, you, you know, we need to protect the rats, protect the rats. And that was it. That that just a bit like what you were saying introduced me to the 
just just where different people are at and where people's different life experiences and different uh, situations. Perhaps eating meat is fine. Perhaps using the fur of animals can be fi fine. But I guess it's mass farming and things like that 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 is where that we need to challenge, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge conversation, isn't it? And I uh, I think it, one that I'm learning from daily with all, all my interactions and um, the debate evolves. And I think it's uh, there's a big difference now and there's been a big shift to kind of vegetarianism and specifically veganism, in my opinion, is partly because lots of people have done it about for climate reasons, yeah. sustainability reasons. Um, and I guess the argument... Uh, with perhaps your friend who's anti-fur is maybe that there it, it depends oh. so if oh, you oh, think about uh, animal welfare and, and then it doesn't really um, change it whatever the reason it's just like killing is wrong but if you're talking about like sustainable sustainability and eating meat sustainably then yeah then the conversation is really about mass farming um, and obviously I think uh, you've only got to kind of scan very lightly scan the internet to see kind of how devastating that is in terms of animal welfare and in terms of like ecological welfare right yeah absolutely um so when you're starting the shared plate is this something that you were you were driven by the need to help people re-examine the way that re-examine their relationships with food to like inspire some change um, to do something different, what, 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 where did it come from? Uh, so the main aims of the shared plate um, is to connect and foster resilience in ourselves, each other, uh, with each other and community. So, I mean, I often get asked a similar question about the kind of sustainability aspect of the project. Um, and it's very, very important to us, but it's almost, um, well, it's not secondary, it's in tandem with this real um, desire to create create resilience in people and communities. Um, and so that means, that doesn't always mean um, vegetarian, vegan, or and, and sometimes it, 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 it's about interacting with meat in a completely different way. So uh, if we're working with a group and a large, um, you know, a large proportion of that group is Muslim, um, then sometimes we, we work with halal meat um, and um, people can find that challenging because there's different regulations around halal meat. Um, but because first and foremost our aim is to connect people, um, often I feel that you have to kind of meet people where they're at with things um, and, you know, and navigate it because if you're going... I don't, you don't want to shut down conversations, yeah. basically. Yeah. But in terms of our own practice, so we've recently opened a, a cafe space. Yeah. Um, and the ethos of that place is that it's actually mainly vegetarian and vegan. The food that we, uh, the vegetables that we use are either things that we're going to go in the bin um, or through a really amazing organisation called Fair Share, um, or they're from local suppliers. Um, and we've got lots of mini supplies that we work with and a small scale CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, that supplies a lot of our vegetables. Um, but the ethos of the cafe is vegetarian and vegan uh, with some meat. And it's about kind of reflecting our own values about how we see what the food system should be like, basically. So 
really believe in a, a mainly plant-based diet, but I do believe that there's there's a space for meat within the food system in a modest way. Right, and and yours, it's in Swansea, right? The the um, cafe. Amazing. Yeah. How, how is it? So when did you open? Uh, well, we were supposed to open uh, in March, yeah. um, and it, it, I think we were supposed to open about four or five days before the first uh, COVID lockdown, the oh, name shit. that should not be mentioned. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah and so we um, ended up having to postpone it, but obviously we were pe- prepped and ready to go, um, so we ended up doing an emergency kitchen um, and then opening well, incrementally, uh, and then in August, and then kind of closing again, and now we're kind of semi-open and just kind of biding our time um, until hopefully being able to kind of reopen again in March with, a, you know, a bit like a clean slate, basically, because it's been a really, really tough year. Yeah, it has. Yeah, I know you've, you've done so well to, uh, I don't know, to, to maintain even enthusiasm for the project and still be looking forward and looking at the, the next possible time to open properly. Um, I saw... I might say I'm a fool. Uh, <laughs> you're a dreamer. There's a thin line. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I saw stuff about uh, about seasonal diets on your website and, um, and seasonal produce. Can you tell me about... Because this is something I was thinking about quite a lot. Um, but yeah, no, you tell me about it. What, like, what, why is it important to make a move towards more seasonal things? Uh, is it is it a health thing or is it purely because of the journey that food has to come on to get to our dinner plate? Well, like, where's that come from? I mean, I think it's both. Um, the reality is, is that if you eat a tomato that has been grown naturally in the sunshine in Britain or in Europe, that tomato is going to hold... A million more good things for you you know vitamins um and it's going to taste much better yeah um than if you buy one that's been grown in a kind of propagated greenhouse in holland in december it's just and and you i think if you did a taste test of those two things you immediately see your body and your taste buds are telling you ah, oh, you know which one you want to eat yeah um and then of course i i, I really struggle with um yeah a lot of the way that we interact with uh food from abroad and i mean like there's a fact that's always really stayed with me which is only 40 percent of avocados shipped to the uk make it to the shops because they travel so badly so we're throwing away 60 percent of avocados exactly because they're just not but in there's a short pocket of the year where you can buy those avocados from Europe and then they're not traveling as far. It, yeah. it, again, it's a very complicated thing, but I just think sustainable, eating sustainably and eating seasonally really is what I mean, um, is a vital part of changing the food system. But it's really difficult because we've developed, but only probably in you know our lifetime. I mean, how old are you? I'm 29. Really nice. So, yeah, it, I'm 32. It's like, not in our parents' lifetime, an orange would be a magical thing, you know, and it's something yeah. that we now take for granted, and it's very hard to reverse those things, you know. Um, we're just so used to it. Like, for me, even all throughout the year, I probably couldn't cook without lemons and lime. Obviously, I could, but yeah. if 
my a lot of my food and my flavour is based on those citrus things, and they don't really grow in the UK. No. Not on the scale that we use them. But it's, um, and, and like I've got a friend who runs a, a community supported agriculture and, and the boxes now, they've got, you know, a couple of Swedes in them, some potatoes, carrots and some cabbages. And, and there's this big question about whether, and, and their customers are going, oh, well, this isn't much for my money. And that's the reality of what's available at the yeah, moment. That's what grows. So, so yeah. they're now having to have a conversation about whether they're going to supplement it throughout the year throughout the winter months because people's appetites are so adjusted that we can't really eat uh or we don't feel satisfied by a uk grown diet so yeah but the reality is is we're gonna have to make that shift and if we you know i think they said there's 40 more um 40 more seasons of growing in the soil in most mainstream agricultural soil wow so we're going to have to be moving pretty pretty quickly, basically, um, it, and adjusting. It's 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 amazing how, well, it's terrifying how quickly people adjust to something new and then see it as a entitlement to have that thing. Exactly what you're saying with the lemons and limes, with different types of food. Um, it's like convenience is is a driving force of a lot of things. Convenience, you want to, you want strawberries on christmas day you know in yorkshire right okay good luck with that <laughs> but you know but it's like um but you can get it can't you so you can exactly so it's it's, a, it's pretty warped but people feel very entitled to it quite quickly so you know it's like um well i always have avocado with, um, with eggs for breakfast and it, and that's a shame you're right it's like a cult it's like a mindset shift that needs to happen as much as the, it, people being happy with swedes and well, what what would a seasonal diet for this time of year? So now it's December. What's a seasonal diet for, say, do you live in Swansea? Yeah. Swansea, then. Well, I mean, it's all the root, root veg, really. And some, um, so we're not far off getting a lot of um, winter greens. So things like uh, pak choy, mizuna, you've got your kales. Um, and actually, they're something that um, are mustard greens. They're really coming to the fore now because they don't actually grow. These are kind of Oriental-style greens. They don't yeah. grow very well in the summer. They tend to bolt or need lots of watering. So they're actually very resilient in this time, um, mainly grown in the greenhouse. But that's where you're going to get your, your a bit of spice and, you know, the goodness from the greens. Uh, kales are really, really, really hard so you've got celeriac, sweet, parsnips, potatoes. I mean, anyone that knows me, I am just, I think potato is God. <laughs> but I'm sure that most, a lot of people wouldn't agree. Uh, but, um, and I, so in terms of that, I mean, there's loads of flavour in there. Right, okay. But it's, um, it's about how you draw that out. So, I, and, and I kind of come to the, like, um, realisation that, that, there is room for, you know, we've got this global economy and so we are kind of exchanging goods and if we all turned around and said, well, we don't want any of that stuff anymore, there would be a kind of economical collapse. Yeah. Um, but so for me, it's about like, how do we, you know, um, kind of ration those things and, and recreate them as luxury. So, you know, like those, 
vegetables lend themselves the, the ones that are around at this time of year they, they lend themselves really well to things like that are spiced you oh, know right. so curries but also just like roasted with a little bit of made middle eastern spice um and that will bring that to life so that's like such a small amount of um input yeah. to transform the things that we do have here you know a squeeze of lemon obviously olive oil which is so much part of my cooking and i yeah. think it's an everyday resource in most many houses um but yeah so it's just like how do we you know work with what we've got and then just bringing in some of that other yes. stuff like a luxury you know yeah yeah i i know what you mean what about rice though right, right you don't get rice from the uk do you no, I mean, uh, there's lots of heritage grains that are really coming back as well. And you've got um, some really amazing uh, producers that are one Hodmadods, which is um, they're just bringing back kind of UK grain and, and growing grain in the UK because like bread is another one which I couldn't live without and I think is a staple of most households. But most of the flour that we grow, that we use in the UK is from America. So... I mean, you've only got to look at the the kind of system that we're in at the moment to see that it's it's a fragile one, basically. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you've got things that grow growing. So you are getting the rise of the uh, UK grain growers. So there's some in Devon I know of um, who are kind of bringing back the ownership of how we how we grow grain for bread. Yeah. Um, uh, but then in terms of like things that you could substitute rice for, um, I really like millet. My husband hates it, so that's right. a bit of a contention. Um, buckwheat is one of the oldest. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I use buckwheat grain. sometimes. Yeah, uh, and really good for you. Um, some of the kind of barleys and stuff as well. So it's just, again, and, and this company, Hodmadods, are, are starting to grow things like lentils and chickpeas in the UK. Ah, interesting. Uh, yeah, so it... it, it, it for all the kind of damningness, and you can get really trapped in that cycle of, oh, God, it's all shit. Oh, am, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's loads of amazing positive things coming out of the like, UK food uh, growing and um, cooking scene, basically. Like, there's, like, Land Workers Alliance are at the helm of that and really changing policy. Um, so, yeah, it's like, you can go down the rabbit hole of our, uh, you know, where where do we go from here? Or, but for all the negative, there's a whole bunch yeah. of positive stuff. Yeah, I, it, you know? I agree. I, I saw this thing um, that Jamie Oliver was doing that where he's trying to. <laughs> it's quite funny actually. Uh, he's trying to do like higgledy piggledy veg or something like that. What's it called? Have you heard of this before? You it's mean like, like wonky veg. Wonky veg. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I was just trying to think of what it was called. So wonky veg. And I was think, like, and I was talking about it the other day and I was laughing so much because although it's an amazing initiative, it's an amazing, amazing idea. Basically, he's trying to get people uh, and trying to push the idea, very basic idea that veg is all different shapes and sizes. That's how it naturally grows. Um, and then things have been, fucked around with over the years with genetic genetically modifying them so that all apples grow the same size same same shape same color same Carrot. as bananas carrots everything and i went down a uh, <laughs> i went down a bit of a wormhole in my mind and we we're talking like why 
why are all apples, why are apples, so take apples for example, why are apples, why have they been modified to be the same size, same colour, same shape, you know, all shiny in the supermarket? If you think about it on a deeper level, it's kind of like homogenization. everything's the same, everyone's aspiring for the same things, the same nuclear family, the same... Uh, well, we're homogenised as well, aren't we? Exactly, so I'm thinking if we... The elites are probably scared of the wonky veg because if we see wonky veg, then we might think, "Hey, you know what? I'm not all this. I'm not the same as everyone else. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a, wonky. <laughs> I'm wonky, and I should be proud of it. Just as nature's wonky, we're all wonky. We're all higgledy piggledy. And I think, I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I thought, God, this is the way they want everyone to be the same. No one will shut up. No revolutions. No, no." really powerful unique individual thought because all the food and veg that fruit and veg we eat is the same because we're all the same right and we we're part of this system and we're all and we're all yeah we're all part of like a like a uh, a colony whereas we're actually not we're all different and that's a beautiful thing and i thought yeah. that that wonky veg although i laughed at it at first i thought that's quite a cool thing really well you must come it across it all the time like the just when you actually get real vegetables and fruit it's all sorts of different colors and sizes and shapes right yeah absolutely i mean that that thing about the uh, i love you i like your theory <laughs> yeah uh, i can get down with it because i uh, i think that most systems are there to keep the people down but maybe we shouldn't go too far into yeah. the left-wing yeah. revolution from what we but, eat um, from what we from from the fruit that we eat it's all the same that, that's, you that's know, bonkers you hear a crazy fact about apples <laughs> go on you know, you were saying, oh, why are they so shiny? Yeah. You know that a lot, even though we grow something, uh, I can't remember what the percentage of the apples that we grow in the UK, like, that go to the shops, but often your apple that was grown in Cornwall or Devon or wherever that, you know, that UK apple was grown, will get sent to South Africa to be polished. What? So you've got a nice shiny apple and then it will get sent back Saying this, but we've got a little farm shop which is right. 
down the road from us. Um, and then, um, yeah, we, I mean, one of the most amazing things about this place is the, the drive for community-supported agriculture, which are the, basically, I don't know if you know, do you know what a CSA is? So it's no. like, um, it's, it's quite generally quite small-scale growing, which, if you speak to most growers, is the way that we're going to change the food system is by governments recognising small-scale growing um, and not this like mass agriculture that we we currently support yeah. and subsidise, which is just another kettle of fish. But um, so in well, Gower, which is connected to Swansea, which is the kind of countryside area, uh, a peninsula just to the left of Swansea, um, these small-scale growing projects are popping up and what happens is each year you have uh however many boxes you think you're going to be able to provide veg boxes so say it's 50 and those 50 households will pay an upfront fee at the beginning or you know at either a, a one-off fee at the beginning of the year or a monthly fee mm-hmm. um and that so that that means that that growing project can um fund the workers and the produce and all of the things that need to happen to make it uh viable to grow but in advance so basically the community are paying into this fund that's going to create their veg and it's really taken off here so i mean there's there's um three that i know of that are established and one other one that's being uh currently being set up in the east of swansea and there's this kind of revolution around growing here and like there's another project called Room to Grow, which is converting people's gardens into a green corridor. So there's this real focus on like we can take back the food system wow. you know, on a micro level. And that's and that's what I really, really am passionate about, about whether it's about growing, whether it's about the food system is I believe that massive change happens on a micro level. And I think that these growing projects are an amazing example of it. And, and they're starting to get to a place now um where it i think probably in the next five years they will be a blueprint to show how small-scale agriculture can feed cities and that's what i think is amazing about swansea and these projects is that i really think that the way that we're going is going to show that actually if you create these small projects they will create enough food to feed cities and that is mega because yeah. in the food argument that is where you will come up oh you're never going to produce enough to feed yeah. the masses and they're not that's not true you know and, and we're seeing that now so i would say like watch this space because it's a really exciting city to live in to be part of and i think it's going to be a show up as a kind of example of how we can do things differently wow I've not, heard that. I've not heard of that before. There's a lot of countryside and there's a lot of green space in the UK as well. So it's it's um, it's well within, you know, conception to for, for this thing this kind of thing to take off. Um, so the shop that you so so you've got a shop as well as a cafe, right? Uh, it's the same thing. It's like within the the zero waste shops within the cafe space. It's quite a big well biggish space okay nice. so, yeah so that's around like we serve basic uh provisions so we've got like refillable stuff for your washing up and then yeah. all of the um dried products that we sell are organic so um and you know it's kind of a refillable 
excuse me, basically. So, yeah, yeah so it's a very small version of, again, I think a more suitable way of shopping. So, so you know, you bring your own old butter pot and you fill up your... Ah, leg. okay, because I was going to ask about the zero waste. That's what it is, right? It's zero waste. So, yeah, so, so you encourage it, people to bring their own, think their own, yeah. what, Tupperware and things like that? Exactly, yeah. I mean, at the moment, we provide some because these things take a little bit of time to... So we've got, you know, any marge tubs or whatever. But, yeah, the idea is that you keep bringing back the same thing again and again. And, um, you know, it, it's just about, like, trying to eliminate this single-use plastic um, this economy that we're in. And, and the sad thing is, is that that's one of the things that has come out of this pandemic is the use of the rise, massive rise of single-use plastic. And it, it's yeah. one fight in many. But, um, and, and many would argue, oh, it's, it's the small, uh, you know, it's, it's a small fight in a much bigger um, crisis. But I don't know, I just think we need to be trying to do everything that we can yeah. to... Yeah, because I, I, I read, um, I, uh, I was reading on your website, on, on the blog part of your website, um, I think it was Megan that wrote it, um, she was writing about shifting the focus from f individuals to the system. So, mm. like, um, so I think this with recycling, for example, you know, and with a lot of other areas, even mental health and and all sorts of areas, you know, a lot of the, and this COVID-19 regulations, like, a lot of the onus, a lot of the focus is put on to individuals when really this change needs to become come from further up. That does sound a bit defeatist, like, hey, we can't do anything. But um, but like I'm think I was thinking with your zero waste thing, with your zero waste um, ethos. Do you not? Do you ever feel like a bit? Well, I guess you can't. There's no space for self doubt because I think going into Tesco, for example, or going into Sainsbury's, and everything's in plastic. Like almost everything in there is in plastic, and um people are broke so they just go in there and buy stuff you know that it's just what they know it's a culture of it's their culture that they live in is you know i get everything from tesco um do you not although you're making small moves do you not i mean what you need to change at the top right things need to change at the top oh god 100 percent. i don't and uh, uh, just to speak to self-doubt i have it in masses and i think that it's important for people to have okay. the balance because it creates humility, but just to say that. But yeah. um, but I think that uh, absolutely it's imperative that it comes from the top. But like, uh, we also have to, you know, if it, like I was saying earlier about the micro level, it's like if you live by the example of, the, you know, the world of your longing, I think is a good way to say it. The, the way, you know, it's, it's the same as like how we treat people. Treat people how you want to be treated. So treat the world in your, in, in the capabilities that you have as an individual. Try, you know, just try and be your best self, right, isn't it? Within yes. the parameters that you can be. And and I guess for us, and it's, it's the, you know, our fight, our main fight is how do we create resilience for people and equal food for all and, and while we're doing that on the micro level and, you know, trying to do that within our own small system, mm -hmm. the other side, the other eye is on the bigger picture. So how do we, you know, get policy changed? How do we, you know, it, it, it's both things. So and, and, and one of the great things that's come out of this pandemic is actually a connection with our council who are going, 
oh, you guys seem to know what you're doing. Can you help us? Oh, so, nice. And it's about being ready to do that. So with all the day-to-day stuff that we're doing, we're also squirreling it away, trying to create our own, you know, broader thing that we can say, look, this is how you do it. So that so that when this shift comes, because I do believe it's coming, or I hope it's coming, yeah. that we're ready to go, look, we know how to change these things. And you and you know, and you're putting the pressure on the government, you're putting the pressure on corporations to say you must change it as well. Mm-hmm. But I think to be honest, it's a beast. And if you um, if you don't do, you know, if you don't do the little stuff as well, you will go mad because yeah. It is so hard, you know, it's like banging your head against a brick wall or it can feel like that. So yeah. it's like, it's it's a bit of both. It's like eyes on the prize, eyes on both prizes. Yeah, 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 I understand. Uh, we're in a really good position, really. Well, you know, depending on how you look at it, young people now, uh, you know, Gen Z and, um, and, and that generation, uh, they're way more climate conscious for one than than any generation before um and also there is a there is a kind of uh a relationship with health and and fitness and and perhaps like i remember i interviewed a uh, sociologist once and it was about booze about you know uh why we drink what we drink it was fascinating conversation because it was just like everything we do is influenced by our you know, socioeconomic background, our age, our race, our, you know, where we grew up and all these different things. And he said, you know, his theory was that young people would prefer to be photographed with a smoothie in their hands, you know, on the way to the gym than, than, with, yeah. a, with, than with a, yeah, now, than with a pint of beer, like get, getting Larry with your mates. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, and the getting young people interested in, in projects like yours and, and, about sustainable food and all that feels like we're in the best position to do it now than ever right a better position now than ever like you so you do when you have the young people you do workshops at, at the shop is that something you've noticed um yeah i mean it, it depends on the group that you're working with but yeah. i think the underlying thing that is and, and why i believe that food is this vehicle for societal change is that we all have to eat so whatever your relationship to food is, whether it's a negative one or a positive one or a complicated one, you have a relationship to it. Yeah. So we've all got that starting block and that foundation. So the the conversation can go anywhere. So with some ki- some young people, it might be that you are really having that conversation about what's healthy and they're very, very healthy. Do you think... It can be too much that as well. I think there's a lot of pressure uh, to be healthy. And, and I think it can take away the pleasure of food for lots of people okay. and, and young people who are living in this society. of You've got to be healthy. You've got to be fit, you know. Yeah. But it, 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 it always creating that conversation. So the conversation might go towards all of that and the pressures of, of food or food access or the price of food. Or it could go towards you know more of the meat conversation or more about family it's just I think that's the beauty of what we do is that every conversation is different and we uh, and we do try and kind of create environments that are very much youth-led so 
yeah. you know, where that where that conversation goes is always uh, an interesting one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and um, from what from what I understand, a lot of I mean, again, this is this is isn't always helpful conversation to have uh, with some people, but um, like how how linked to your, to your mood, the what what you eat is very linked to your mood and and kind of your mental health sometimes. Um, from mm. what I understand, like there's, it, it's something to do with your gut, and the enzymes in your gut will affect um, your brain. Can you tell me any more about that? I don't know much about it. <laughs> um, they say now that your gut is your is your second brain. Right. That it's as intelligent as your brain, if not more. So you know, there's. I'm not a nutritionist by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. so I wouldn't want to go too far down that, um, you know, down that path. But it, you, I think you can feel it. Going back to what I said earlier about the tomato, yeah. you know, the natural tomato over the um, the one, the force grown one, and and it's the same thing as like. Um, probably a bit of a deviation, but like being able to pick your food and and how long the food okay. comes from uh from field to plate which is something that we're really interested in at, at the shared plate ah, okay. like you um you know like if the longer it's been sitting around the the nutrients are kind of draining out of it you know so oh, okay um yeah but but what you're putting in your body i think you can feel it you know the, the greens are contributing to your iron and you know it, you know like if you eat a big stodgy beige meal yeah i think at the end of it you tend to feel a bit stodgy and beige, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's what you want, you know. At the end of a long day, I want to eat my macaroni, cheese and garlic bread. Yeah. Like yeah. double whammy carbs. <laughs> and then I want to sit on the sofa and yeah. cook. Do you know what I mean? So I think, again, it, it's this concept of everything in moderation. Um, I think, you know, the, uh, the, the rule about oh, eat five a day is, you know, yeah. five vegetables and eat the rainbow. It's like, yeah, that's great. In an ideal world, that would be amazing. How hard is it to eat five yeah. vegetables a day? I work in a kitchen with uh, yeah. access to all of that stuff. I eat about two. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's not a policy that can work for people. And I know this wasn't your question, but no, it's just right. think about it, you know, that like it, 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 what, what we need is, is just is food on the table, is, is, a, is a mix of food. Mm -hmm. um, but... I, I feel that a lot of these parameters don't, um, they don't help the individual or the family or, you know, because right. sometimes it's a struggle to just get a meal on the exactly, table. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So telling people, it, it's like you're just feeling that you're failing all the time, basically. And I think that that's where we need to change the food system. And I know that wasn't your question, but I've just got, got no, off the... Uh... No, it's, it's like if, if, I'm a, if I'm hungover, I like, you know, I'm drawn to salty foods as everyone is you know drawn to like a fryer or something like that or a takeaway but i uh but i try and make an effort and eat something really really healthy and i do feel a lot better after it and sometimes i sometimes i do the opposite i have a massive pizza or something like that and i feel yeah. quite shit but you know you, sometimes you can just ride the hangover out like that but that's one example of what do i really need like you know you know if you're really tired or if you're mm. really busy i often eat bad food you know um, yeah, but what you need to be doing is eating something nutritious. Exactly, yeah, because then you'll feel less tired. It, it's difficult. It's difficult to... Uh... It's, it's the access to it as well. Like, I have this common conversation when we're um, 
you know, when we're working with a lot of like young people in the city. Yeah. And uh, or, or, uh, not so much with them, but with the adults that are with adults who are kind of like, well, they just want they just eat chicken and chips and da 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 da. But it's like, well, where is the food access? Even if they were to, you know, yeah. if they wanted to choose something different, you know, like my little sister, she's fourteen, she lives in London, she can't go and get for a two quid lunch allowance anything except chicken and chips. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the reality of 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 what the options are out there. So you're talking about creating good access and and allowing young people to flourish and their brains to flourish. But what's available to them within the boundaries of finance yeah. generally is 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 beige food. It's low quality food. So then that and that is going to be connected to their attention span, their you know their health and fitness, and then their well being. Yeah. But it's like again and it goes back to this thing that you were saying about like the onus being on the individual so when people are speaking about that example they're like oh well kids just want to eat shit well whatever choice have they got you know it and and that that uh access needs to be coming from uh, an opportunity and and choice whether they choose to eat the chicken and chips or they want to go for something healthy needs to come from much further up doesn't it like even if you look at school meals they're yeah. shocking. Yeah, yeah. You know, they haven't changed really since when I was at school, and it's getting on a bit now. Yeah. Um. So these things, it's like, how do you expect young people to make good food choices, or anyone to make good food choices, when they're not readily available to us? You know. Yeah, yeah. If if you zoom out a bit, and and if you have a cynical mind, um, <laughs> it, it, you could think that that it perhaps it, it benefits people. It benefits people further up to keep. Um, people on the uh, people yeah, working keep, class keep people down. keep people unhealthy, unhappy, eating shit, eating sugar, lethargic. Um, lethargic. Yeah, it it benefits a lot of people. And sugar's one thing that I think is an absolute beast. Mm. Uh, like it's kind of it. It's yeah, like it's a brilliant. it's like a a monolith in in the food world. And that that's something that needs that well. Uh, people have been saying this for years, but that the, the more you look into sugar, it's it's absolutely awful because there's sugar beet in the sugar cane, from what I understand. Yeah. Sh- sugar beet is what grows in the UK, yeah. right? You can grow that in the UK. But sugar yeah. cane is where all this refined sugar comes from, and it, it always comes from overseas. And yeah. it's really, really bad for you. It's like a mutant form of sugar, I, I think. Oh, it's like... Um, so, and, sh- and the monopoly... The monopoly that sugar companies have on on every type of food, whether it's breakfast cereals, fruit to alcohol, wine, everything. Bread. Yeah, yeah, bread. Absolutely, loads of sugar in it. That's 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 what's killing people as well, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I have to agree with you um, in terms of the like when you zoom out. I like the way you like. I like that terminology. That you know, most things that are happening are about keeping people in their places we don't want a whole nation of alert switched on people who start questioning why would why things like they are that are the way they are and and like you say food is so pivotal to that it's right right at the center everyone's got to eat everyone's got a relationship to it and it 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 is about control it's awful yeah It it really is about control and you get you get serious illnesses from from too much sugar. Mm. Illnesses that that with a better diet you you that people die from. So 
exactly yeah that's, that's one and I, I think that sugars uh, can give you cancer as well from what I understand maybe not I read it online anyway um, it's, something, it's, it's something to do with acid and alkaline you know what I mean so an acid, mm. like cancer can thrive in an acidic in, in an acidic uh, body or part of your body whereas alkaline can counteract that and I think white sugar is acidic anyway I'm, I'm the nutritionist going far too done but it's much too intellectual for me Jack <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a couple more questions if you don't mind yeah go for it um, so what have been the main difficulties of starting your of starting the shared play apart from the, I guess the, the pandemic's been the main one right but like have you have you come have you come against any you know any big difficulties like uh, in trying to get something so alternative off the ground I mean, it's really interesting that you touch on the word alternative because I think that that has been the main difficulty because to me, and it feels like lots of the people that I talk to, uh, it makes sense. It's like, you know, that we want to bring people together because people yes. are stronger together, people are more resilient. Um, you know, yeah, it's basic, it, really. It, you're telling me. <laughs> It's been so hard, and this was a very big frustration about the pandemic. So when we, I, you know, the shared play I started with a very good friend of mine, Megan Nash, nearly three years ago now, and um, you know, you you knew us right at the beginning, and it's been a it's been a very frustrating roller coaster, and it and it is about money. It's it's not about the the desire from uh, service users or partner organizations or right. any of that stuff. It's always come down to money or the resilience of our model. Um, it, all, it has always been about money. And, and when the pandemic hit and we started this emergency kitchen, which was about feeding people who were in need at the time of the pandemic, um, we suddenly got money thrown at us from funders. Okay. We got given something like £35,000 in funding to use for this emergency kitchen. And it was like that. You got it so easy. It was just like, yeah. let's just give money, throw it at them. And it <laughs> yeah. was because, and, and, and it was a similar thing with volunteers. And we couldn't have done that kitchen without the volunteers. They're amazing, amazing, amazing people. But it, the reason that, that was th the money was just there for that is because it was such a simple uh, concept. You know, it's that people in need feed people job done. But that is just putting a plaster on the problem. And what the shared plate is trying to do is to create real change, systemic change. Yeah. Changing people on a, on a fundamental level about the individual and their environment so that they can be more resilient. So that communities are more resilient because, we, it, it, you know, again, base, it seems basic to me. But yet to get funding for that project is like wading through mud. We get right. so many, um, you know, we have, don't get me wrong, we have had funding and, and like Unlimited, which is an amazing funding body. And the woman who's been my mentor with that just like has made me think it can be done. But often what we get back is we don't think you can deliver this. And it's like we are already delivering it. We've all, you know, right. we've got examples, we've got case studies, but it's like, it, it's it's too much of a uh, like out there concept 
Right, okay. Hugely funded. So it, it's it that often that's been the stumbling block for us. It's just like that people don't get the concept. Yeah. Where, where, but it's like, but but then they'll throw endless money at something that's that's actually just a plaster on the problem, like the emergency kitchen. It's like you're not. Yes, and yes, we do. We did need to do that, and there was time for it. And you do need emergency food provision, and there's loads of amazing places doing it. Yeah. But what are we doing to change the actual system as to why people keep falling yeah. through? Yeah, that's bit, what we're about. But it's a, it's it's a bit of a smokescreen. It's a bit of a smokescreen. It's a bit of a smokescreen. Like, yeah. like, oh well, look, we did this emergency uh, emergency project, so you know that's 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 that issue started. Um, and people, people have got a lot of people have got a lot of vested interests, and there's a lot of uh, people are entrenched in these ideas of how food works and 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 how businesses should operate. That uh, sadly, I can see why yours is has come up with some diff, you know, come against some difficulties because mm. people just not people just can't like you said they can't conceive it. You know, it's just, yeah. What? And it's very, I think it's very easy. And this isn't, I don't want it to sound like a criticism because they're all needed, but it's like, and I don't think that private donation is how the share plate should function, but it's very easy to tick, tick off the list with something like an emergency kitchen. It's like, you know, for everyone and the funders as well. It's like, we've done our bit, the council, you know, oh, I don't want to like, I'm not bad mouthing, but it's, yeah. it's, um, it, yeah, it, I, it, it's a similar thing to when, um, maybe I won't tell that story, but it, it's just like you, you know, it, it's like you can feel good about that, you know, that it's all wrapped up, isn't it, in a lovely little food parcel. You can yeah. go, we've done that, and tick, and it's a number, another number of the 11,000 meals that are done that everyone can give themselves a pat on the back for. Whereas when you're saying, well, we, we want to bring people together and, and you want to break down barriers and all of that stuff. It's like, it's scary to people because we've been told, no, 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 not community, individual. Yeah. You know, you look after yourselves and your family and you worry about what's wrong with you because that's all you've got at the end of the day. Whereas I believe, we believe at the shared plate that it's like if we all were working more together, if you cared more about the collective mm -hmm. and moved away from the eye, we would we'd be stronger yeah and, happier. and you wouldn't end up in these situations where you need to have emergency uh food rations and emergency kitchens perhaps you know yeah. um uh can you think can you share one uh or can you share some highlights or one highlight of, of your time with the shared plate i know it's been going for three years now is there anything that stands out where you think god we're doing the right thing or this is exactly what what we set out to do i mean any time that I am running a program, I feel like that. Any group that I work with, I just feel so privileged to be in that space with those people. I love working with people, whether it's the team, whether it's the volunteers from the emergency kitchen or our amazing team at the cafe. But when I get in one of the in in one of the program spaces, and I just see everyone chatting and telling their stories and, and then we sit down and we've all when we've created this meal together it's like and that is what it is all about for me like I just I mean one of the things that I'm probably most proud of that we've done in the last I'm proud of all of our programs but just before the pandemic we we finished our first pilot program um of something called cultural kitchen which yes. brings refugee and asylum seeker women together um and each week 
a different woman is the lead facilitator of the group um, and they teach all the rest of us to cook food from, from not necessarily from their country but from their heart you know things that they're um, you know that they love to make and that group because it's it's uh, participant led so it's it's pretty non-hierarchical and that feels amazing it just promotes confidence and it promotes sharing and connection and the solidity of that group at the end of the eight weeks I mean I think honestly if we had boundless money we'd just do that every week and wow. and, and have a drop because it is just so rich and obviously some of the best food I've ever eaten like oh yeah. I just my mouth's watering just thinking about wow. it you know, and and that to me is just like that is a real like kind of spotlight of exactly what we're talking about you know it, it, it just it was a real richness um and then I've also got to mention Lifebeat which is where you and I met because yeah. the foundations of the shared plate come from Lifebeat and the work that we do there you know about uh, confidence and love and sharing and um each year we run the kitchen there the shared plate and the young people come and they and they cook the meals for 100 people every day three times a day and they come and prepare that and uh that to me is you know it's exactly again everything that we're about and it's just so much laughter and yeah beauty really I just I love it so I'm hoping that next year we will be back because we have to have a year off this yes. year yeah no definitely yeah um so I, I sometimes ask three questions before closing these one-on-one -on -one conversations and these are questions that you know you've probably been asked them a lot and you probably ask them of, of other people a lot because they're from the camps that we've worked at life beat so can you tell me someone uh, somebody that you admire and why please mm. oh it's funny because i was i mean i'm allowed to say i've got these questions a bit ahead of time <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but, um i've been really thinking about it a lot um because yeah i don't know there's loads of people yeah um, but for me, uh, there's two that I really want to mention, and one is um, Louis, Louis Levan, um, oh, yeah. who you, I know you know well, um, and uh, he works with young people, um, he runs this amazing uh, programme called SCVS, um, I think you've worked on it, haven't you? I have, yeah. Um, which is about kind of supporting young people who might be struggling with mainstream education to get back into it, but that is like one of his many talents, but he is just this absolutely amazing generous life force um he's supported me as a friend but also kind of as a mentor and he just gives absolutely everything he's got to these young people and in return he gets that back mm. and the changes that he's made you know he really changes lives and with such good grace and joy and humor and i mean yeah like sunday morning i was lying in bed and he said i need some uh, jokes for my young people to read out yeah. of a hat yeah and then for the next two hours yeah. we were and you know it's just joy to me but joy and that thought that on a sunday morning what's he doing he's coming up with jokes for the young people <laughs> to yeah. help them to flood do you know what i mean it's just like oh he's an absolute legend yes um and he, yeah, he's, he's just spreading the love wherever. Um, and then the other one, a little bit cheesy, but is my husband because he it. is Adam. Um, and he is just someone that when he decides to do
do something, he is going to do it with absolute dedication and gusto. And his thirst for knowledge on that is second to none. And I'm just sitting in his office at the moment, and I just have to show you that there's just this little note by, by his um, by his lamp that just says "Planning Justice!" Wow. Exclamation mark. Yes. Um, so he's trying to build us a house at the moment. Um, within a community and. I don't know. I just look at him when he's leading the meetings and I just think, I can't believe I'm married to you. So, Ah, lovely. Okay. Hopefully you won't listen to this podcast because he will absolutely (laughs) rib me if he hears that I've said that he's one of my inspirations. (laughs) Um, Thanks for that. Yeah, I I second everything you said about Louis. He's a good friend of mine, but also a mentor and a constant source of just inspiration but in a, a gentle way and just mm. watching how he is with people and with young people is endless source of just t- just education for me yeah. in, ev- in every single way um so a challenge that you've overcome um a challenge that you've overcome how you did it maybe or how it made you feel um well i guess we we've, we've touched on it um a bit with the um with with just this journey that we've been on with the shared plate like it's been there's been i never waver in the um in the in my belief in the work i don't that i never waver in my belief in the work but i waver in my ability to sustain it because i feel like there's a lot of times when you go what, you know, why, why am I making my life so hard? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like this concept that we talked about, it's not, because I could, I, you know, we could just go and do, you know, more emergency meals or something like that. I don't know, it's just like, to, to try and fundamentally change the system is like, and I'm not even saying that we are, but we aspire yeah. to, and it is like, sometimes you feel like you're being beaten over the head with your own shoe it's like you're beating yourself over the head you don't need i don't need to it's like you could just have an easy life you know just go and be a chef somewhere and i don't think it would make me happy but it is um sometimes it can and and, you know you see things on the news and stuff like that and you just you can feel a bit it can feel a bit hopeless i guess and i'm sure that everyone feels that sometimes but so I think, yeah, the the challenge can just be to keep going, which I know, so does that sound really dramatic? No, no, not at all. But yeah, and then other days I just think, oh, I've got so much energy, I can I could move mountains. But then, yeah, so I think that's probably the challenge is to, to, to really um, stand tall in your beliefs, I think, and show up for the things that you believe in is, is an it probably going to be a lifelong challenge you know amazing yeah no i i agree i agree just keeping going is the hardest bit sometimes um and uh one hope or dream that you have for the future um i dream that uh we're starting a project in january in a pupil referral unit oh yeah great uh, which, um, for those that don't know, is like where young people who can't, uh, are no longer in mainstream education or have been thrown out of mainstream education go. Um, and my dream is to to 
through the work that we do is to support young people to be them best their best selves and to show that you know just because you didn't function in mainstream education it doesn't mean that you're not strong and worthy and that you don't have the skills to be part of society and if we can contribute to some some part of that as the shared plate um then i think i'll be a happy contented person amazing and what are you going to do there you're doing cookery uh classes or like yeah talks we do no we're doing a um it's just a four-week program to start because hopefully it's, it's a bit of a pilot project. We've run the format before, but not in the PIU. So it's basically just bringing them together. Um, and it's a little bit about life skills, but it's really about creating confidence and, uh, and, and beautiful food together and then sharing it. Um, excuse me. And it culminates in, um, at the end, the young people put on a kind of cafe night for oh, a nice. restaurant night for their uh, peers and their um, parents. Um, and the idea is, you know, and they run it as a proper proper restaurant evening, uh, three courses, uh, menu design, designed by them. Um, and it's an opportunity for them to showcase what they've learned and also be in a kind of professional environment, which I really believe has the, you know, I think quite often what we do with young people in modern society is we don't trust them to be mature or to have responsibility positive responsibility you know Mm -hmm. but we do put a lot of pressure on them so actually one of the things that the restaurant night creates is uh, a sense of responsibility and achievement that is very tangible um and they have really achieved you know it's a true and honest thing um to cook me to cook a meal for 30 or 40 people um and it's pay what you feel and quite often I tell you what, these restaurant nights, they make more than we do on our, on our normal right, amazing. So, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's proper good food and, they, and they're smashing it, basically. So, um, yeah, so that's it. That's great. Um, so before we go, um, have you got any advice for anybody that might be wanting to make a positive change in their relationship with food or with, uh, with yeah, with their, with their relationship with food, buying food or cooking or anything like that? Uh, keep it simple. Uh, I think that, you know, if you can get good produce, then let that do the talking because um, I think sometimes part of the thing problems is we overcomplicate things. Um, and I would say if you can, uh, I mean, COVID permitting, but get out to these groups because the community project that we run chop and chat it's not you know it's, we're not the only ones doing it in almost any community there's somewhere that is is getting people together to cook and prepare and eat meals together and i just think find one in your area and go to it because it's a, they're great places to be they're full of life and vibrance and laughter and yeah i just think we should all be going to chop and chat fantastic <laughs> cheers neve I've really, enjoy, I've really enjoyed speaking to, you, speaking to you today. Yeah, it's flown by. It has been an hour. <laughs> That's mad, isn't it? Um, what are you doing for the rest of the day? Uh, I'm taking the dog to the vet and then I'm going out for a really nice meal with some of my girlfriends before we go into a new weird lockdown thing in Wales. Okay, great. Well, I hope you have a nice day and uh, let's speak soon. Have a nice Christmas as well. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Jack. Bye. Bye.
interesting conversation. I learned a lot there. I hope you guys did too. I, I thought it was, you know, I could have talked to her for hours and hours and hours. Food, it's, you know, it's we all eat it, but it's very rare for me anyway that we re-examine it and, and look at it under the microscope, microscope in such a way. Um, you can find everything about Neve on her company website, thesharedplate.co.uk. I'll put links to it all in, in the description of the podcast. Um, this is the... This is the last podcast I'm going to put out before Christmas 2020. Um, today's the 16th of December. We've made it, guys. We've made it, just about. Uh, to Christmas. God fucking hell, it seems like, seems like, you know, ages away. But we're here, we're here. Respect to you all for getting this far, for staying strong, for carrying on. Uh... <laughs> This year has been hell for some people, really. Um, parts of it has been have been hellish for me. Um, what's the phrase? If you're going through hell, keep going. I like that. I like that phrase. Keep going. Thanks again, guys. Head to jackhutchcraft.com if you want to make a small donation towards this podcast. But more importantly, have a lush, lush, festive season and eat well. Peace.